Today's message is talk, we're talking about the journey. Say with me, the journey. And everything that we're going through, we're doing as a ministry, everything that we've planned is intentional. Say with me, intentional. We have two weeks away for a super con. And this morning, just instead of just bringing a word that would minister to you, you know, my husband and I were praying and he asked me and I felt as well, the moment to bring an alignment and a oneness to what is going to be brought for Supercon. And in preparations to Supercon, it's like if we don't prepare ourselves for battle, for war, then what are we going to expect after the war? And so it's important to be asked and to think about what are my expectations? Like if someone were to ask you, what are your expectations in the next two weeks? Does anybody have an answer? So you think about it and you put thought into it. If it's not an intentional thought, you have to make it intentional. Because this life that we're living is so short, we're not promised the rest of our life. The Bible says that nothing is guaranteed, right? And so I'm going to be intentional. If I believe I'm going to be alive in the next two weeks, then I'm going to make it worth my while. And so when we think about these things, we have Supercon two weeks away. And I want to prepare ourselves spiritually. Some of us are fasting. Where are you at? All my peeps are fasting. Y'all starting to smell like sacrifice. Because week one is about over and we're entering into week two. And I heard such a powerful woman of God say this once. It's not until you smell like sacrifice that heaven starts to respond on your behalf. Sacrifice to you can be totally different from what it means to me. It doesn't mean that it's not less. But the objective of it is to smell like something. What do you, ask your neighbor, what do you smell like? <laughs> Actually tell them, what do I smell like? <laughs> so somebody came up to us last Sunday and shared with us that they've been praying for the church. And they were here on a Saturday morning praying. And the only thing that they could perceive was this place smelling like sacrifice and it's so powerful to hear these words but I believe with all my heart without understanding the concept that I'm about to bring to you today we'll go into cycles of our life that will totally miss the moments that we're in sacrifice because all we see around us is bondage complaining bitterness there's no movement there's no breakthrough my friends are, you know, turning their shoulder on me. I'm losing everything. I don't even know what God wants for me anymore. So I want you to keep that word in mind, sacrifice. Amen. So let's begin. Let's go to Joshua 9, verse 1 and 2. And when you have it, say amen. Joshua 9, verse 2. We want to welcome all of our Facebook Viewers right now watching us around the entire world, God bless you. Thank you for connecting with us. Hope you enjoy this experience here at Supernatural Culture. All right, Joshua 9, 1, 2 says, Now all the kings west of the Jordan, west of where? Heard about what had happened. These were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites. Now these names are really important. And we'll, I'll go into that in a little bit later. But these are not just names, okay? 
So it's the Hittites. Say with me, Hittites. Those of you that are reading the word, read it with me. Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Who lived in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one. Stay with me, one. Now, my perspective to you today is that these kings and their tribes represent demonic forces. They represent strongholds. And we're going to define what their names mean in a minute. So all the Ittites, sorry, my heels are real big, so got to get used to them. All the Ittites are joining forces because they know they can't win the battle if they fight alone. If you go through a season in your life where you feel like, how many of you felt like you got one thing coming after you? And you're like, oh, if that's just one thing, you know, God just did something or if it just stopped, everything would be back to normal. And then we have seasons where it's not just one thing, but now we can pinpoint two things. How many of you have been in a season where it's not just two or three or four things, but it's like eight or nine or 12 things? And you're like, yo, like this is a lot. Like I can't right now. Like I can get one or two attacks in my day, but all eight at the same time, I can't handle that. Those are spiritual assignments that are sent to us by the enemy because they know if he, he knows that if he sends just one, you can overcome it with just one thought. I cancel it in the name of Jesus. I don't receive it. But it's not just that negative thought that comes. It's a negative thought, it's a negative emotion, and it's a negative opinion about somebody. Now, those three things, you're just like, now I'm starting to question myself. Am I right? So all the Ittites are joining forces. And this devil is saying, let us unite. And sometimes the devil wants to gather more than one of these things because with one, we won't cut it, right? And now that we have all these things against us, now we start to questions, question ourselves. And now we start thinking, are these mightier than I? So now we've got to fight someone who's mightier than we. In other words, God is sending you, allowing you, exposing you to situations out of your comfort to provoke something that is impossible, to provoke something that is unusual so that you can experience true dependency on the Holy Spirit. He will allow for these things to come and attack us, to expose us, and to put us at a place where we feel uneasy about our faith. And we start to question doubt, and even throw things at God, like if he didn't know what he's doing, because he's not in charge of our life in the first place, because we get all crazy, right? Say with me, faith connects me with the ability of God. And we're talking about the journey. So now let's look at the journey of the life of an eagle. And it's so important to understand the concept of an eagle, right? So the eagle has no natural predators except for man. Eagles built their nests at the, all the top trees or high cliffs. Takes anywhere between 30 to 50 days for an eagle's egg to hatch. And these are just facts. After hatching, the helpless hatchling is completely dependent upon its mother for food. The first to emerge from its egg or to be hatched 
is at an advantage because of its age and its size over the others that hatch after. So from this point on, it grows stronger and faster. It can compete and be successful at competing for food than later hatchling eglets. The ones that hatch after are at a high risk of not making it at the end of this 30 to 50 day season. Before they leave the nest for the first time, young eagles remain as nestlings for 10 to 12 weeks. Eaglets continue to return to the nest as and stay around its parents for another month or more, learning how to hunt and refraining or refining its flying techniques. These eagles that are growing to be adolescents, it may these, they, they may beg for food as long as the adult bird or as, as long as their adult parent is willing to feed it. Between 60 and 70% of them do not survive the first winter. Within four and five years, they develop golden feathers on their heads and necks, and they reach a wingspan of almost seven feet, and that is their full maturity growth, and that's it. Now, the eagles have a specific process in becoming mature which many don't even make it to that point. Say with me, maturity. maturity. Maturity is such a key for all Christians in order for them to continue to live the walk of faith. It's a tool that you need in order for you to overcome that situation. And sometimes we disregard that word because it deals with character building and when we talk about character, automatically we're thinking attitude. We're thinking they're going to confront me. They're going to tell me what I don't want to hear. But say with me, character building. And now, eagles don't go through a spiritual journey. They just are given one life, and majority of them don't even make it. <laughs> but yet they have a process, and yet they respect that process. How much more believers that we know we have a process... We know we, it is to benefit us, allow, to allow God to deal with us, to purge us, to mold us. But yet we want to skip the process because we get tired of the process. And we get uncomfortable because of the process and because the process just don't feel good. I want to say something real quick. And I just want to say that publicly, if I don't know if you've ever heard my testimony, but you're looking at somebody who's been very processed at a very young age all too fast, all too soon. When I got married, I was 23 on my birthday. But my mindset was of a 15-year-old young girl. My mama never taught me nothing about relationships, nothing about menstrual cycles, nothing about getting down jiggy with it. I didn't even read books because I was afraid of the topic. I was an innocent, untouched virgin, not just outside, but inside. And embedded in me, there was fear and insecurity. And when I get married, not only do I get married, being a girlfriend for the first six months of my life, becoming a wife to a youth pastor who's up and coming in ministry, but now I'm getting married to his ministry, and I'm getting married to his spiritual parents that then become my spiritual parents. And I get married into so many things. And to add to that, I get pregnant on the night of my honeymoon. And I didn't realize that I was pregnant until two months after I get the news 
And I'm vomiting and vomiting, and that's why I say no more babies, God, because all three of them have the same symptoms. Unless you can promise me something different, I will then think about it. <laughs> and when I become pregnant, I was just locked up in a house that was 45 minutes away from the church, and it was in the Redlands, which is like country. There's only one car at this point. And my husband can't afford to make several trips because of gas, so I had to just stay home and deal with it. <laughs> and I was so used to being around and working. I worked full time. I was an elder in ministry. I studied full time. Like, I was just a busy person. But when I got married, I have no car. I got no job. I got no career. And I got a baby on the way. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Feel for me when I'm that, yeah, 23 years old, pregnant, knocked up. <laughs> and all that time, I thought I was being punished. I thought I did something wrong. And I was like, I don't deserve this situation. This is very hard for me. And I have nobody, nobody, my mom, friends, nobody. And I could just remember time and time again waking up to wish to go back to sleep because I was so bitter and so hurt, because I felt God rejected me. And of course, I was in love with the love of my life, so I was like, this is worth it. I'm going to pull through. I'm just very hormonal right now. But when the baby came, I thought things were going to change. I was still unemployed. I was volunteering all of my time at church. And when I started trying to get a job, they told me straight up, after several interviews and giving me high hopes, they told me, no, it's not worth me training you because very soon I know they're going to promote you as pastor and then they're going to take you out of this department and all of this time with you is going to be in vain. So I didn't have a job, still living in the house, still with the same situation. Year, year two comes around, we move out of that house to move pretty much across the street to my mom's house. And that whole time, again, going through a process. Fast forward to three years. Baby was growing up. I was starting to work at church. But the process wasn't the same. It didn't look the same, but it was still challenging in my life because it was still very pressure and very, you know, controlling and very hard personally for me. Fast forward to five years. Situation still not changed. I was now working at church. I was working as an intercessor. I was getting trained, doing my function and my passion. But yet still dry season. And I was just like, why is this continuously happening to me? I'm seeing moments of breakthrough, but yet my moments of bitterness and loneliness are much greater than the breakthroughs. Like I can't even enjoy when the breakthrough comes. How many of you been there before? Where you're like, I, I, I feel like I could enjoy it, but then boom, something comes and it's just devastating. And it wasn't until we started flying out of the nations in 2015, and we were already going into six years or something like that of marriage, that I started to see God finally bring a break in my growth. Like, finally I can rest. Finally I wasn't being called at three in the morning. Finally I wasn't being asked to do crazy things <laughs> as an intercessor to go here and go there and drive 45 minutes there and then come back and like crazy stuff that it was just purging me and testing me. That long story short, I give God the glory that if it wasn't for that process, 
I wouldn't be who I am today. Anybody can grab a mic and preach. Anybody can stand up here and talk about some notes. Anybody can share what they have on their heart. But not just anybody can do it without imparting some kind of weight, with some kind of testimony, with some kind of impartation. And this is what this is about. You know, these moments for me, I don't take it lightly because right now I'm in a room of 30 people and tomorrow I'll be in a room of 20,000 people. And my heart still isn't, doesn't change. So because I was processed, and that's what is so important for you when you are processed, to value the process, to not question the process, to not abort the process, to not reject the process. When I showed up once, three in the morning, I was tired, and I had every right to be upset. I had every right to not want to be there. I had a baby that was just born that needed me, and I was breastfeeding. Like, I had every right to be home, girl. And yet, I would come to church to do my duties, and I remember one day, I was clocking in. I came in with such a nasty attitude in my heart. Of course, outside, I was great. And outside, inside, I was just like, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Don't, uh. And I'm an intercessor, and I have to clock in, and I remember right before putting that button in, that number one button, God was like, you better change your attitude, because if you don't, you're about to abort your process. And straight up, it was God, God speaks to me very harshly sometimes, and that's okay. And I'm okay talking about it, but he's straight up Papa. Like, he's a father. So he just froom and immediately dropped into my spirit conviction. And from that moment on, I understood the value of receiving and accepting and being okay with it, even though deep down I wasn't okay with it, I had to learn to be okay with it. Amen. So say with me, maturity. Whatever it is that you're going through right now is necessary for your maturity. Whatever argument just arrived, uh, happened to come up and surface on the way to church and to the parking lot needed to happen to expose the character so that you can build maturity. Whatever phone call you're about to receive that may be not be so pleasant, remember that everything is intentional and God permits it for a reason. And God is the author and finisher of our faith, so he knows the bad news and the good news that is to come. And because he knows means he's in control of it. Just because it's a surprise to you doesn't mean that it's not a surprise to him, right? So say with me, maturity. Matthew 25, 23 says, the master said, Matthew 25, verse 23. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. I come here with nothing, but my attitude is because I am faithful with the little, with what you've given me, that is enough. You've got to tell yourself, God is taking me through this test at this very moment because he wants to promote me. Thank you, God. Why don't we just meditate one minute on what is it that you're going through that is that one thing that stands out above every other thing. That you can just say, you know what, instead of cursing this situation, I'm going to bless this situation. Instead of closing the door for this to purge me in the deepest areas of my heart, I'm going to say yes to it and just be a little optimistic about it. Like when we receive that revelation and we change our attitude about it, God can work through that process and that fire so much quicker than your complaining can, than your doubting can, than your worry can. And what good is it that you share your burden to somebody and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change the situation. Oh, but I got to tell them what I'm going through. But I got to vent and I got to, like, God is saying, 
allow me to purge, allow me to stretch, allow me to work. It may not make any sense, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. I didn't make a mistake when I allowed you to come out of this womb, to live this life and be called by your name. I didn't make a mistake by the city you were raised in, with the parents you grew up with. I didn't make a mistake allowing that guy to take advantage of you. I didn't make a mistake when you were all alone in bed crying for daddy and daddy wasn't home. I didn't make a mistake. My biggest situation and struggle was why can't I have a father at home? I am not an only child. In fact, I have seven brothers that are Six of them are older than me. One of them is my age, and the other one is younger. But the only blood brother they have comes and visits us. But he's four years older, so we never had like that connection. We get along, we have a relationship, but it's not like my friend. You know what I mean? I was an identical twin sister. She died in my mom's womb at seven months of my mom being pregnant. And I always carry with me this rejection and fear of like, why can't I have somebody that sticks around? to be a friend. I never had best friends, they never stuck around. In fact, I never had a best friend, I don't know what betrayal is from a best friend, so I guess God saved me on that one. <laughs> I never had a boyfriend, so that means I never had a heartbreak. <laughs> and my complaining was, how come I, I don't have a daddy at home that can be with me and embrace me? And how come I don't have any friends that can accept me for who I am? And I all the blabber crap that comes out of our mouth sometimes because we lose focus of what God is doing in our lives, right? So when we realize, we come to a point and we say, God is going to work through something and make this something into something greater. It's an only an opportunity for him to glorify himself. That somebody like me can testify and say, I was a virgin until 23 years of my life. That is a huge testimony. And if you don't have that testimony, don't try to compare yourself to me. Because that situation you've been through was necessary. I don't know why it was. I just know that it was. Because otherwise you wouldn't have what you have and carry what you carry and experience what you experience. So this morning, focus on the things that God has been purging you time and time again. And force yourself to see the good in it. Say amen. Now you got to start off somewhere, no matter what that somewhere looks like. Don't judge your beginnings because it is in the beginnings that God thrives on. It all starts with displaying faithfulness with what he has given you. Amen? Joshua 9, 3 through 6. Joshua chapter 9, verse 3 through 6. But when the people of Gideon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and AI, they did work willingly and they went and made as if they had been ambassadors. And it took old sacks and took old sacks upon their, their donkeys, wine bottles, old and rent bound up. Verse 5. And they took old shoes and clotted upon their feet, old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp of 
Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we come from a far country. We come from Steve Reynolds Boulevard. We come from I-85 South and the exit 102 on Beaver Ruin. But we come from a far, far place. Look at what we're carrying. We come from such a far place that our bread is moldy. And these are the kings of these tribes that are persuading and they're deceiving Joshua and his tribe and saying, come and accept us because we need your help. They did not come from afar. In fact, what do you think was the spirit operating behind them? I just said it. What was it? Deception. Now the spirit of Hittites are the spirits of deception. And they are sent to deceive you. Somehow they will either get you to not use God's ability. And use or work on your own strength. Or to fall into a trap of temptation. Get you to go too far. So that when you're in too deep, you can't pull out because it's too late. Say with me, Hittites. It's a common spirit that dwells amongst us in this generation. It's not a faraway thing. It's not an Old Testament thing. It's a nowadays thing. And it's disguised in other things. And maybe you don't realize what the root is. But the, the Lord revealed to me this morning. The strong man is called a Hittite. That spirit that makes you operate on your own strength. When you know you have access to work on God's strength. It's the spirit of deception that convinces you. That you don't need nobody. You're good on your own. It's the spirit of it's okay to get a little bit closer. Let's see what it tastes like. Uh, just a little taste. And let us see what the Lord has done. So that when the veil comes off all of a sudden you realize you've been deceived but baby it's too late that's a strong mass spirit that has got to go from this church from its people from this region in the name of Jesus we come against every Hittite spirit that demon spirit that has you bound to depend on your own strength I am so tired of seeing that spirit operate amongst these young people here I can't believe the amount of deception the people believe in the crap that they are fed and because they got nowhere else to turn they say well I guess that's what I gotta go through no that's not what you gotta go through that's a lie of the devil God doesn't want you to suffer God doesn't want you to be in a place where you're dry where you're empty where you're alone when you ain't got nobody that is not what he has met, made you for it's a time for you to make a decision and say enough is enough I bring share what I'm going through because they're going to judge me. That's a spiritual thing right there. Holding your tongue back from your own deliverance. If you only knew that if you talked about it, it will set you free. People think that in order for them to receive deliverance, it takes vomiting and like this manifestation of like the dinosaur that comes out. That is not necessarily the case for every single person. The most powerful deliverances that I've ever witnessed is the ones where they're shaking to tell me something that is a forbidden secret they haven't ever told anybody else. Those are the cases. We want to break that kind of habit. Amen. So 
What did these spirits do? They became one with Joshua. They became a league, which he shouldn't have accepted it. He was supposed to kill them. But once he became a league with them, there was no way that he can cast them out. Every Ittites is a strong man. Now let's go into what is the Jebusites. The Jebusites means, it, the, the actual name that is in the scripture, it actually means to be stomped on. And to prevent people from growing up. It's a spirit sent to make people feel small. They will talk down on them and convince them to shut up. It's a spirit that says your ideas are not good enough. It's a spirit that makes you question yourself to the degree of not speaking up. It's a spirit that comes to stomp down on you. Oh, pastor, it's just that I'm insecure. Okay, I get the insecurity part. Maybe it's justifiable one or two times. But after a certain time of pattern... It's no longer what you're dealing with at a personal level, but now it's past you. Now it's a spiritual thing. Amen? Now let's go. Let's see who dealt with this in the Bible. Numbers 13, 31 through verse 33. Now the person that came to my spirit that has dealt with this kind of spirit before in the Bible is Gideon. And it says, but the men that went up with him said, we... We be not able to go up against the people, for they are, what are they? They are stronger than we. It came out of their mouth. We can't go up against them because now they're stronger than us. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it. Is the land that has been eaten up and the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are in it that are men and they are in great stature. In other words, this land was cursed. Verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come from giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Notice this key word. Where they saw themselves small. Now what happens to a person when they themselves see themselves small? They think small. They believe small. Their faith is small. And the most important part of all of this is to the devil to keep you from dreaming big. To keep you dreaming small. What happens to people that see themselves small? A dream will produce anything you are believing for. I want you to write that down. Any dream that God is giving you will produce exactly what you're dreaming for. And I know somebody that in here, and this person is a creative person, they sketch. And whatever they have put into sketching, I don't know them for too long, but I can say they started to produce their own clothing line. And I can tell you how true this phrase is. A dream will produce anything you are believing for. Are you meditating on the dream? 
Are you sketching down those ideas? Are you writing down your future plans? Do you have a vision board? In our old house, before we moved from Miami, or from Georgia, we were in Miami, and we had an entire wall in our bedroom, and that wall was the Hall of Dreams, <laughs> like the Hall of Fame, Hall of Dreams. And it was just pictures we printed out from our HP printer and our color ink with our photocopy letter-sized white paper, and we just taped each and every single one of those dreams down. And some of them are really far-fetched, like our own private jet, <laughs> a huge mansion with a huge entrance, with beautiful cars. <laughs> it's a dream, right? But majority of those dreams were very specific, like we want to target 30,000 souls in the next six months. And as soon as that dream would come, up, uh, come to pass, we'd remove it. Now we got to fill in that space with another dream. Because now that dream came to pass. I'm going to move that from my hall of dreams to my hall of accomplishments. And so God wants us to continually be dreaming because God's nature is a creative nature. And creative spirit sparks an appetite for faith. Say with me, creative spirits sparks an appetite for faith. Now let's go into our third strong man. His spirit is called the parasites. Parasites. And these are the spirits that make people weak and unable to walk. In the Old Testament, the word walk symbolized maturity. So what these spirits want, these parasites, is have you not depend on God for yourself, but depend on someone else to do it for you. They don't believe that they have enough, enough faith, so they want to ask for help. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. But the moment you step out of a place called faith, as a daughter, as a son of God, the moment you step out of a place of faith, in the moment you start to depend on others, others to pray for you, others to seek salvation for you, others to deliver you, that is when this spirit, the Persites, begin to operate. It's a depending spirit on someone to do everything for you and to look upon men than more to look upon God. In your dream is your destiny. Imagination will produce the faith it takes to create your dream. Imagination will produce the faith to create your dream. So in this morning, if you hear anything else, write it down. What are you dreaming for? What is your greatest dream, not from five years from now, not ten years from now, for the next two weeks? What are you believing God for? Is it something physical? Is it something spiritual? Is it something emotional? Is it something financially, family? Write it down. Because in these next two weeks, we're going to test God in our faith. And we're going to provoke God to do something on our behalf. Not just because we have the faith, but because we're breaking down these spirits that have maybe operated consciously or subconsciously in our lives and somehow have affected us. So write down those two dreams, one dream, however many dreams. Write it down. Genesis chapter 11 verse 6. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. 
That is scripture backing up your dream. Do you want me to say that scripture again? Genesis 11.6. If you are going to inherit the world, then what are you doing? Cursing and doubting that inheritance. So the enemy is after your dreaming. Now let's go to Acts 26 verse 19. Acts 26. I told you we were going to reword today. I don't see many of you with your Bibles out. See, you're just staring at me smiling, so I'm going to pretend y'all guys got your Bibles. Acts 26, 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. Now, God wants to drop something, some kind of imagination into your thinking because through you, he's got to get the job done. The Bible says he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. Without a vision, God's people will. We see a pattern in Joseph's life. Through a dream God deposited in him, his brothers then wanted to wipe him out. We see the same pattern in Gideon. When God appoints him as chosen and God replies, who, me? We were born and we were given God's DNA. We were given God's DNA, which gives us access to the impossible. We were given God's DNA, which means my body has to align to the will of God, period. I don't care what I think. I don't care what they say. I don't care how I feel. I don't care if I wake up one day feeling right. I don't care about my feelings. I don't care about how it makes me react. All I care about is that if I carry God's DNA, that is enough for me to believe into my own breakthrough. I don't care what my generational curses have lined up for me because of my ancestors' mistake. I call upon the DNA of the utmost living God. I pull down from the impossible because he's given me the grace to believe. Not just believe, but he's injected us with his DNA, which is so far powerful. That means whatever your dream is, whatever you believe in God for, it should come to pass. But if it doesn't come to pass in your lifetime, then what did you do with the time and the faith that God gave you? Something has to change in your situation. It shouldn't look the same after 20 years. In fact, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but when I look at somebody after five years and I see that their physical appearance doesn't change, to me it's like inside of them it says everything. I don't even want to waste my time. Not, it's, you know, I say it in a nice way, but when I see somebody that hasn't changed physically, it tells me everything about them emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Something has to change. They got to gain weight or lose weight. Something has to happen. You know what I mean? Like they got to contour more or contour less. But something has got to happen. You know what I mean? Because change is inevitable. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. But are you allowing God to work in you? Are you allowing God to adapt in you? Are you allowing God to change and reform your mindset, your thoughts, your ambitions, your dreams? Are you allowing God for him to work through you? Because in order for all of this to operate, he needs you. He needs you. He needs Amber Wilson. He needs Erica Cannon. He needs Ashley Maldonado. He needs people so that he can continue to deposit his DNA. So that he can say, look at their fruit. Believe and see through them. 
Come on, baby. Look how good it looks to walk in God, to depend on God. You don't think the situations phase me. Sometimes they phase me. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get cranky. Sometimes I get moody. Sometimes I don't feel like waking up and praying, and I'll be straight up about it. But at least God knows that I can be reliable. At least God knows that he's got my emotions, my feelings, my heart, my passion. Even when I don't feel like it, he knows he can still count on me, baby. Because one day I said yes. And that yes has taken me all the way from 17 to my age now, which I'm not going to say how old I am. <laughs> but it's taken me. It's been hard. It's been challenging. It's been difficult. I get it. I got 10 minutes left. Thank you very much. <laughs> Y'all keep telling me. <laughs> I know that I know that I know that I know God didn't waste his, his time in creating me. He didn't waste his time in creating you. He didn't waste his time in believing in the hair follicles that he's placed on your hair. He didn't waste time in creating the color of eyes, the color of skin, the color of your fingernail. He didn't waste any time. So why are you wasting his time? Say with me, I better mature in order for me to access God's throne. He wants us to access him. And with that, you guys can take the pulpit. I want you to stand up to your feet. I want you to turn off the lights. I want you to get the sound ready because God is going to do a new thing today. Say with me, God is going to do a new thing. God is going to do a new thing. He didn't make a mistake when he created you. He didn't make a mistake with the spouse that he gave you. He didn't make a mistake with the parents that you've got. Thank you, Jesus, because you at least are the only one in this entire planet that can pursue us the way you pursue us, the way that you can follow us, the way that you can persuade us, the way that you can make us feel about a specific situation, Jesus. You know that God's love is supernatural, but it's only love that can take you out what you're going through. Sometimes it's not, just, it's not even about crying. It's not even about opening up your heart. It's not even about expressing. It's just being in his presence. And his love is amongst his presence. And his love takes us to the deepest places of our hearts where we least expect. And God says, now is the time for your deliverance. There was a time in my life where I was so hardened. I got 15 minutes, by the way. Pastor Andy said I have 15 minutes. Just in case. 11.15. There was a time in my life I was going through such a hard season in my life where I didn't know why I was feeling depressed. I didn't know why I was feeling lonely. For a year and a half, I was going through up and down, up and down. I don't know if you've ever been depressed before. But when I realized that it was depression that was killing me, I refused to accept it because I was like, I'm not 50 and I don't got no white hairs coming out of my head. I'm not on no pills and I'm not depressed. And because of me refusing to accept that I was depressed, it pushed me into a place of vulnerability where I said, it's not okay for me to react this way. It's not okay for me to cry just because I feel like crying. It's not okay. Enough is enough. I had just gotten through a loss. My father was, he died from one day to the next. He was given seven days to live. We didn't even know he was going to die. 
The doctors kept that away from us. He didn't, they want us to know that he was just not going to make it when he was put in the hospital. He died at 50 years old, two months before my wedding. So you can imagine why I was being a little disappointed and, <laughs> and, and stressed out. And, and in a season where I least expected it, but I was vulnerable. And I said, God, I don't know what you want to do with my life, but I'm tired. And I, I, I have no purpose in living anymore. I feel empty. I feel drained. I feel like I keep giving myself, but I'm not getting anything in return. It was that demonic spirit, that demonic parasite spirit that was stomping on me and making me feel good for nothing and making me feel I couldn't count on his strength. I had to count on my own strength. And I got this, and I'm strong enough, and I can get through this. But my, my own strength failed me and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm weary, and I don't even want, I don't know what I need. I wasn't even asking for help. I was just simply saying, I don't know what I need. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm just tired. And God visited me one day in my living room when I least expected it. All I did was get on my so I ask this moment, this moment, get on your knees, face your chairs. And all I did was allow for God, get on your knees, turn around on their chairs, put your elbows on the chair, get comfy, and just meditate right now. Holy Spirit, what is that one thing that we're dealing with? What is that one cycle that doesn't want to break? What is that one thing that keeps chasing us? And in a moment of vulnerability, what is that one thing, God? that keeps me away from my complete deliverance. And it was in that one moment, and all it took was God's love. It was that one place, and God met me with love. And I ask you to just take a deep breath.